We've been exploring what, what it means to live the good life, and specifically looking in the portion of the Bible that talks about wisdom, the wisdom text, and in Psalm 37 is where we have landed. And Psalm 37 emphasizes a life centered on the Lord that is following the path of wisdom. And it leads to what we call then the, the good life. And so we have, and we've read this, and we're going to read it one more time. This is going to be our final week looking specifically at Psalm 37. But we have looked at verse 1 that says, don't get upset. Don't get upset over evildoers. And verses 3 and 4, trust the Lord and enjoy the Lord. And then commit to the Lord and be still before the Lord. And there is one more point of emphasis for us to consider today. And so let's turn one more time to this Psalm 37 and read about the good life, what a life of wisdom in the Lord looks like. Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord and he will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave rage behind. Don't get upset. It will only lead to evil because evildoers will be eliminated. But those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. I focused a lot of my time and energy in, in studying this week on that phrase in verse 8. Let go of anger. Let go of anger. And you say, well, Pastor, didn't, didn't we kind of address this already? I, I remember in verse 1 it says, don't get upset. But I think there's a difference here in let go of anger and don't get upset. There's a very important distinction here. Don't get upset, and we explored this again back in week 1, Address the possibility of what is to come. If or when you see evildoers getting ahead or some type of perceived fairness, you may see that. You may encounter that in the future. But when you do, don't get upset. God's got this. We're going to lean on him and trust him. But, but we, might, we might encounter that. But here in verse 8, it's not about what might be coming ahead, what might be coming down the road. Verse 8, I think, this is about what has already happened in the past and how we hold on to what has happened. And verse 8 then tells us, let go of anger. Let, let go of anger. It, so perhaps maybe in the way of wisdom is not just be prepared for the future and, and don't, don't get upset about what might happen, but, but even what has happened. Let go of anger. It's time to let go, leave rage behind, turn away from it. Now, I do want to, before we get too deep in here, I did maybe a, a caveat a bit. I, I think sometimes it's okay to get angry. We did have an example of Jesus getting angry in, in Scripture, and the, the temple was being misused and perverted in ways that, that you know what, they just, I don't like this, and, and, and Jesus, Jesus set things straight, and even with some anger. There are some injustices in this world. There are perversions 
There is abuse and violence and tragedies that ought not to happen in this world. And when evil happens, I don't believe we as followers of Christ are meant to just shrug our shoulders and accept eh, evil is going to be evil and accept them as if that should have a good place in God's good creation. Now, I think the Christian's response to evil should be some mix, and Pastor Gage hit on this already, some kind of mix of lament and sadness Maybe even shame and regret or embarrassment. And at times, perhaps anger, especially if that anger spurs us to action in a way that properly addresses the evil. So here we have the phrase, let go of anger, as if to say it's not a good thing. I understand getting angry, but it's not a good thing to carry that around. For that to become a burden that we're carrying now. In fact, this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll put this up on on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, 27. Be angry without sinning. It doesn't say don't be angry ever. It says be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Carrying anger, holding on to it, even for just one day, from one day to the next, is an opportunity For the devil. It's a weak point where the enemy can enter in and take that anger that you are holding on to, that you are carrying, and allow it to fester and grow and begin to shape your thinking so that it would lead to even worse things. It it, it can become not only a weight, but a burden you have and that you have to carry. And not only that, but it also can become a block to living what we're calling the good life. A block to living life as God has intended for your life. Let's look at James chapter 1. Here's another example. Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. This is because an angry person doesn't produce God's righteousness. We are called to live righteously, to live holy lives, and we cannot do that while also holding on to anger. Now, and you are probably aware of this, but in our world today, there are many voices and influences and people and systems in place in this world that thrive off of you being angry. That make a business, make a living off of you, off of getting people angry about something. If you can get someone angry, oh, you can motivate them to do just about anything. And we see this. The the, the low-hanging fruit of this is politics. We see this in politics all the time. We see this in right-wing and left-wing media. We see this in war. We see this all over social media. Let's get mad at, generationally, let's get mad at the millennials, or let's blame the boomers, or let's... No, it's that country's fault, or this country's fault, or it's... No, it's this group of people that are the problem. So let's get angry about it. And when you get angry, oh, you're going to do some. When you get angry, you're going to donate. When you get angry, you're going to vote. When you get angry, you're going to, It's a motivating thing. But God does not want us to carry around anger. He wants you to let go of anger and leave rage behind. You'd think it would be beneficial to God and his kingdom and his cause if he would say something like, well, okay, don't get angry about this, but instead get angry about fill in the blank. If you hear a politician or, or, or even a preacher 
If you hear them say, God wants you to get angry about and then fill in the blank, chances are whatever's filling that blank is that politician or that preacher's agenda, not God's agenda. God doesn't want you to get angry. He wants you to let go of anger. And what I'm thankful for, and I want this message to be primarily in our minds today, is God not only says, let go, don't carry around anger, but also then, he has something else for us. He has verse 9. It's hope. Because evildoers will be eliminated, but those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. So instead of having anger, we as God's people, no, we don't, have, we don't hold on to anger. We hold on to hope. Hope in what God has promised for us. And a promise right here in verse 9 that says we will receive, we will possess the land. We will receive great blessing. We will receive space. And, and one of my favorite themes to track throughout Scripture is this, this idea that comes up time and time again in the Bible of God making space. And then at the, the very beginning, in the creation narratives, God is, is making space. He's separating and separating and, and doing these things that make space for us. And when God has created Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2, what does he do? He makes a garden. Garden of Eden. It is a designated space for mankind to live and be and work and grow. It's an intentional space. God not only made mankind, he made space for mankind. It's a, it, it, we, we see this in the Trinity as well. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we, get, we, we try to describe that, think about it, we get it wrong so many times. It's so easy to get that wrong of what that exactly looks like. But the best description I've heard of it is each Part of the Trinity is making space for the other. Almost like a, it's called like a, like a, a dance, almost. That they're each making space for each other. Later on in Genesis, when the world grew evil and became set against God and his ways, the floodwaters came to cleanse the earth of evil. And yet, what happened with Noah and his family? There was a space, a designated, an ark, a space in which they were kept safe. God made sure there was a space. And later on in Genesis 17, God comes to Abraham and makes some promises. And one of those is a promised land, a space again for God's people. A place in which God's people would inherit and gain possession of. It was a promise that was so important when the people went through Famine and struggles and hardships and even then slavery in Egypt, wandering through the wilderness, they held on to the promise that they would one, one day come to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here for those seeking wisdom who want the good life, who, who let go of anger and rage, verse 9 says those who hope in the Lord, they will possess the land. They will receive the blessings God has in store for those who trust and commit and follow the Lord on the path of wisdom. 
I'd like to say one more thing, and this is kind of going to be overarching of this entire passage in our entire time together the last five weeks of Psalm 37, the path of wisdom and the good life. And the example I have is a Christmas movie. And I know, I know it is February, what, 4th, okay? And we're not supposed to, like, you're supposed to put the Christmas decorations away. You make fun of the people who have still have de- Christmas decorations up, right? Like, the tree's supposed to be gone, the decorations are done. You're not listening to Christmas music anymore, right? Now, I know that, and you know that. But don't tell my two-year-old that. Because this week, we, we, we had a little bit of a morning where, oh, let's, okay, let's cuddle and snuggle. And, okay, what, what do you want to watch? Polar Express. We'll go watch the Polar Express. Really? It's the first week of February. My two-year-old doesn't even own a calendar. She don't care. She likes the Polar Express. And so, you know what? Christmas is over, but we're going to do the Polar Express. Do you know this movie? I don't know if everyone... It's a pretty popular movie. And I I could say there is... And I've seen this online. There's definitely a love... Hey, you either really like this movie or really don't like this movie for the most part. And part of it's because... It is a Christmas movie. It's not a, it's not a baby Jesus movie. It's not a religious Christmas movie. And so it's, it, it doesn't touch on that. But it does have like reindeer and elves and Santa and all, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> but it also, it is, it's an animated movie, but it's computer animated. So, so the characters look very, very lifelike or human-like, but not quite. It's called the Uncanny Valley. It kind of creeps some people out sometimes. Uh, but if you can get past that, boy, the music in this movie and the, the landscape, the, the setting is the Polar Express is a train. And for young children who are kind of still wrestling with what they believe and what they think about Santa and this Christmas and the North Pole and all this stuff, this train shows up in the middle of the night and maybe it's a dream or a vision or oh, we're kind of along for the ride here. But all these kids in their jammies, they, they jump on this train and they're all headed to the North Pole. And they're, they're, there's adventure and all this stuff, but they're, they're wrestling with what they, what they believe about, um, about Santa and about, about Christmas. Um, <clears throat> what, is, what struck me as I was watching this for, I don't know, the 20th time, <laughs> uh, this one with my, with my two-year-old, is there are um, different characters. And it's, it's going to be kind of hard. I, I've got some pictures for us because uh, most of the characters in this movie are not named. <laughs> they, they actually don't have names. There's boy and girl and conductor and, and, and that kind of thing. But we have the kids here. This, this is some of the kids. And that kid in blue is kind of the main character. Um, and they're in, the, they're in the passenger car. And they're enjoying here some hot chocolate. And that, that song, ha, ha, ooh, we got it. You know, that that's, really comes out in this movie. And, uh, and they're enjoying the hot chocolate. Oh, man, wouldn't you just love to get on a Christmas train and have some hot chocolate? They are taking in the way. It is an, an enjoyable journey for them. That's all the kids. Except there's one kid. And I, I don't know how to get around this. His name is Billy. <laughs> Little Billy. And I've encountered this before. That generally books and TVs and movies, if they want to embody the, the vulnerable five-year-old kid, they name him Billy. <laughs> but that's little Billy there sit, uh, seated. And, and this, this is a complex character in which Billy um, is from the other side of the tracks, is 
does not have what maybe some other kids and other families have. And Billy's experience with Christmas has been year after year after year has been disappointment, has been his hopes dashed. And what he says time and time again is, Christmas just doesn't work out for me. And so when he does show up on this train, he actually doesn't go with the other kids in the passenger compartment and enjoy refreshments and have fun. He actually goes to the back. And he sits by himself. And for him, this journey is not fun and refreshment. It is lonesomeness. It is cold. It is dark. And there are some kids there, you see this, there are some kids that go and try to, hey, come, come along. But, but he stays. He is by himself for this trip. There's also some adults in this movie. There's the hobo, okay? A guy who's just hops on whenever he wants to or can hop off. And here he is. He's on top of the train here. And he's got, he's got a little fire going. And, but he is not in the passenger compartment enjoying the warmth and companionship and refreshment. No, he's alone. He's by himself and he's constantly in danger of getting caught. And it's cold up there and it's snowy and it is not comfortable. And at best, instead of drinking warm hot chocolate, he's drinking this coffee out of a tin can over the fire that's also got his dirty sock in it. And it's, oh, it's terrible. And then we have the conductor. And it's Tom Hanks voices the conductor and actually a few other characters in this movie. But this conductor, man, he's, he's in charge of staying on schedule. And he's responsible and, and he's caring for the well-being of the passengers. And, and, and boy, he's, he's a bit stressed on this journey. But it's very important for him that the kids, that, that they, they all get there and they get there on time. And then two other adults are the engineers. And uh, they're kind of goofy and quirky. Uh, these two, and uh, they're in charge of keeping this train rolling, you know, and, and they go and um, they're making quick decisions when something goes wrong. There's even a scene where one of them kind of makes a repair by taking a personal item out of his hair and sticking it in there, and, and they make it work. They, they keep the train going in working order. All these characters here, all of these, and you know what's happening with all of them? Every person on that train, from the hobo to the engineer, is moving in the same direction. In fact, it is not possible for them to go off the tracks in a different direction. They have to stay where the tracks lead them. They have zero control over their direction, but they are all moving in the same direction. Every person on that train will arrive at the same destination. They don't have control over where they'll end up. They, they are going. But not every person is having the same experience. Their experience, the journey itself, their pleasure, their enjoyment, their discomfort is based on the choice each person has made on this journey. And I wonder sometimes if we can compare the Christian journey to this train ride. We are all, all of us, are believers. We all love Jesus. We want to follow Christ. And so because of that, we're heading in the same direction. Praise God. Not by our works, not by what we've done, by faith in the Lord. And getting on the train, is, man, that's, it's an act of faith. We're going. 
And we're even, we're all going in the same direction, but our experience on this journey is different based on some of the choices that we make. Now again, here's the hobo, okay? And the hobo, he's up there on the, on the ride. And what he tells the, the main character is, I can ride anytime I want. I can jump off. I can jump on any, anytime I want. I can do that. And this is, the, this is the only one I would say I would worry about. Is he going to make it to the destination? I think there's some people who treat their faith like that. When things are going well, let's jump on. When I need a ride somewhere, I need to get, let's, let's go. But they treat their faith like, well, let's see how far we can go. But are we with everyone else? No. We're still in our own space. We're, st- we're just kind of hitching a ride for a while. Because for now, this is fun, or this is interesting, or this is the popular thing to do. But as soon as it gets uncomfortable, or boring, or different, or demanding, where you have to actually pay or invest in some way, well, you just jump off. The hobo is the only character in the movie who actually maybe probably did not make it to the destination. You can't make it if you just jump off and leave the journey behind. We have the kids as well. The kids, they sat in the passenger car, and boy, that's a good place to be. Their journey is fun. Their journey is interesting. Their journey, they did not have to worry about the cold or... uh, are we steering the right way or what, what they just had to sit back and enjoy the ride, even receive refreshments. I, I love the believers who go on the journey of Christ and do it together to gather in the same place, to enjoy each other's company, even get refreshed by it. Now it's still a wild ride sometimes, but in the warmth and comfort of being right where you're supposed to be, you can look out at the world going by and just take it all in. And one day have the blessed assurance to arrive safely at the destination. What a beautiful journey and a beautiful way to go. Except for that one kid. Except for Billy. Billy, we know he's been hurt. He's been let down. And so because of that, he's full of doubt and he's full of fear. And so he sits in the back. And I know there are followers of Christ. They love Jesus. But something in the past, they just can't bring themselves to sit with everyone else in the gathering place. They'd be welcome if they did. In fact, there's some who might go and say, hey, come with us. You don't have to be back here by yourself. Come with us. Come on. Be with the rest of us. But instead, they choose to sit in the back of the train and that journey you know what? You're still going to make it to the destination. You're still moving in the same direction. But boy, what a long and lonely way to travel. It's not really meant to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't have us designed to be that way. But I wonder if letting go of some anger... We might find there's an invitation and a seat up front. There's also a conductor and some train workers, leaders. And what they've been asked to do is get up out of their comfortable seat and actually help lead. Now, it doesn't mean that now you can go wherever you want to go. The tracks are still the tracks. 
we're still going in the direction God intends for us. But the leaders have been asked and signed up for some more responsibility. And that requires some work and some diligence and some care and attention. And oh my goodness, what is the schedule? Are we going right? Are we doing this right? And that can get maybe a little bit stressful. You don't get to just sit back and enjoy the ride. You've got others to think of. And praise the Lord for the leaders of the church who do the work so others remain safe and enjoy the journey and make sure we're all moving in the right direction. Can I tell you my first and primary desire, I think God's first and primary desire is that you are on this journey. That you're not just jumping in and jumping out whenever you please. But as a church, we're going together. You are on this ride with us. But secondly, I think God wants us to enjoy the journey. To experience the good life. Not to jump on or jump off when it's convenient or inconvenient. And, and also not to find a dark place out of the way that, that is just lonely and disconnected. I think God wants us to experience the good life. And he has designed it in ways. And if we follow what we have studied and dived into in Psalm 37, where we end up is a pretty good experience. A way of wisdom. And this is how it's laid out for us. Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't bother with that. Instead, trust and enjoy the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. And let go of anger and leave rage behind. Because with anger, we mentioned it when we looked at the passage in James, with with anger... Not only does it consume us, but all too often, and maybe you've had this experience as well, when we get angry, when it, and if we, we hide that, and if we carry that, and if anger is such a burden, that rage, and what happens is eventually what happens? It comes out, right? But does it come out when you're face-to-face with what has actually angered you? Or... When that anger and that rage comes out, is it, does it get directed at that person or that thing or whatever that happens to be right in front of you? We take it out on those who are close to us. Let go of anger. Leave rage behind. Um, I think God is a God who wants us to experience a ways in which we possess the land, in which we receive blessing, in which we enjoy the journey. And I believe we can do that in his wisdom, in his discernment, and what he gives to us. If we can just leave some things behind and embrace some other things. It's going to take some trust. Commitment for the long haul. Buying the ticket to get on this, this ride together. I'm reminded, and you, you know me, I, I like, like singing, but I'm not so good at it, so you've got to help me. But that old hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know 
Thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that He is with me, will be with me to the end. Sing this out. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him Bow your heads with me. Lord, we come to you in desperate need, desire, but also in desperate need of the good life. We cannot do that without your wisdom. And so would you grant that as your word promises? If we just ask, we will receive. And so we ask for your wisdom today. A wisdom that leads us away from evil, away from getting upset, away from anger and rage, Lord, and instead we can find ourselves in the place where you have designed us to be. It doesn't mean total and complete comfort for the rest of our days. In fact, it might even be a calling to more responsibility or leadership in some way, Lord. But as we seek this way, Lord, would you make sure that we are on the journey? We are heading for the right destination, in the right direction, But also, Lord, would you bring enjoyment to this journey? Blessing. We could possess the land. And in your promises that you'll do this, Lord, (laughs) allow us to be open to your way forward. And in times where there needs to be patience, where there needs to be graciousness or forgiveness or reconciliation in some way, Lord, bring that to us. It is the good way. Chase away the enemy. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, Lord. And may this journey ultimately glorify you in all that we say and do. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.